Coming in hot, 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 Lisa shares her financial tips and strategies to build wealth, have fun with finances, and be debt-free without having a restrictive budget. From bankrupt to millionaire, Lisa knows what it's like to feel as if you're living paycheck to paycheck. Her unconventional money multiplier system is the very wealth protocol that enabled her to retire two and a half years early, pay down $100,000 of debt in six months, and move to her dream home at the beach. Coming in hot, 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 Lisa shares her financial tips and strategies to build wealth, have fun with finances, and be debt-free without having a restrictive budget. From bankrupt to millionaire, Lisa knows what it's like to feel as if you're living paycheck to paycheck. Her unconventional money multiplier system is the very wealth protocol that enabled her to retire two and a half years early, pay down $100,000 of debt in six months, and move to her dream home at the beach. Hey, 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 welcome to this episode of I Date Money. I have the cool privilege and honor to be hanging out with Asha Butt. She is a wealth strategist. I love that. And she is the CEO and founder of Wealthverse. Welcome. Thank you so much for being here, for spending time with our audience and hanging out. We're excited to hear all the things that you've been doing. And I just love the name of your company, Wealthverse, because so many people aren't well-versed in finances. (laughs) Would you agree? Yes, I would. And I love that you see that for its name. Yeah, yeah I'm all about reading in between the lines. You know, <laughs> at some point, you know, I, there's seven, seven money archetypes that I have on my website called it's the money dating game, right? And I see when I'm talking to my guests, I can see like which ones they are. You're like, you know, I can see three in you right now. And it's so much fun to say like, oh, this is what this means. And when we can understand finances in that fun way, it gets to be so much more fulfilling to build wealth. So many people think wealth is just the dollars in your bank account, but it's so so much more. And I know you had a great experience with money since you were five years old. Tell us about that. Um, yeah, it's interesting, right? Because five years old, if you think about it, it's pretty young. But, you know, an interesting story was my grandpa, you know, first taught me about money. More specifically, I'd say the value of compounding. I remember being a little kid and um, we celebrated Eid. And so whenever Eid would happen, you would get something called Eidies, which is money essentially. So you'd get like a $50 bill and it was more money than you could ever imagine. And he would say, you know, Afsha, you get to spend this or um, we save it. And I remember we had those little, you know, transaction books uh, where you Mm -hmm. go put it in the bank machine and fill it up. And he's like, or you can put it in here. And if you put it in here, I will match it. Whatever you put in here, I will match that number. And so I remember just very early on getting really excited, like, okay, I saved up like $150. I'm going to go deposit it at the bank with him. And then by the time the passbook would come out, it would be $300. And he always kept his word and compound. And so from a very young age, I was like, money can make money. Mm-hmm, <laughs> I wish yeah. we had that kind of ROI now, but you know, <laughs> from a very young age, it was. Um, I'm always so thankful for that because I got to see money as something that was more than just spending it. Mm-hmm. I love that. 
And yes, money makes money. I, I love, you know, the book, The Richest Man in Babylon, where it talks about, you know, your money has babies and it has grandbabies and great, great, great grandbabies. And it's all about multiplying that money. And, you know, if we just had that mindset of how can I get my money to make more money instead of how do I have to go out and hustle and grind to make more money? What's your thought on that? Oh, it's exactly that, right? I mean, think about where we learned about money. Like I'm just such a big proponent on understanding our values, but through our generations, like in our lineage, where do we get our money mindset from? And a lot of the times it wasn't that money can make money. It was how do we save money? How do we take the least amount of risk? It's how do we make sure it's reliable and safe? And those come from great places, but they won't always help us in today's world you know? And so to think about money, making money and having babies and grandbabies, A, it changes the language around money. And I love what you said about making it fun. I said this in a um, interview the other day, they were like, what could you do to like change how people view money? I'm like, make it fun. Don't make it like a nagging experience with your partner. Is there something that you guys can do that's a game? Um, What can you bring up that like you used to once dream of that you just kind of let go of um, that's centered around money? you know, to make it fun. Yeah. One of my clients does that. She turns her wealth activation roadmap into a treasure map. And every week when she dates money, she goes on a treasure hunt and she finds treasures in her assets and celebrates the growth and, you know, her income. And she has this little ritual and another one, you know, they get up and they all have money partners that they've named and they uh, do money dance celebrations and, you know, they'll get specialty coffees and teas and, you know, have some little desserts and just be like, oh, okay, money, you and I are going to sit down and we're going to have this awesome conversation and we're going (laughs) to enjoy dinner. And so, yeah, just making it fun and really enjoying the fact that we get to, you know, sit down and look at our money and watch it grow and watch it do good things. Right. (laughs) And really making it purposeful to, you know, every dollar has a job. Yeah. And you get to decide what that job is. Like there's so much power behind your dollar. You get to choose what you support. You get to choose what it does for you. And I think, you know, one of the biggest shifts that I had was the power of saying no. Um, Mm. And you used to be, I can't afford this to how can I afford this to, I don't actually think I want this, you know, and once you have a certain amount of dollars, you know that you can buy things, but being able to decide if you spend money on it or not is such a better place to be. And then, you know, when I was a kid, it'd be like, we can't have this and we can't get that because we grew up in a low income household. Um, and so now it's like realizing the power in money, you know, not thinking that being rich is like a greedy thing at all. And that it's actually a tool to fulfill the things that are important to you. And I really think that your relationship with money is so important the one that you have with yourself and money, but also like with your partner or your friends, how you speak about money, the shame around money, um, all of that can be overcome by uh, approaching it in a way that you're deciding how you'd like to spend it and having a healthier relationship with it. Yeah, that is so true. The relationship that we have with money, a lot of people will look at money, especially a lot of the listeners We'll look at money and say, well, there's just not enough. And, oh, I only made $10 this, you know, this week or whatever. I mean, I'm being a little facetious with the numbers, but right. <laughs> you get the point. And, and you know, the, a, a lot of it, like, you know, there's a lot of people losing their jobs right now. And, well, I lost my career job and, you know, I have no income. Well, yeah, get unemployment. So, yeah, you do have an income. Or the ones that take all of their money that they receive, like they, they might 
you know, land a $30,000 client and all of it goes back into their business. That all or nothing mentality. Like I need to make more money by putting more money back into my business. And a lot of the clients that I work with, their operating expenses are inflated. I mean, they're just, yeah, you know, they're just not making really good decisions. And a lot of that has to do with their mindset, like the need, the void or whatever it is that they're trying to fulfill there. So in your experience with your clients, what have you noticed is very consistently across the board? It's definitely that, right? You come into your first big lump sum or you land your big contract and it's already finding ways that you can spend it. So it's either pay back debt, put it back in my business. You know, we're really taught invest in your business. It's always going to pay out, but we miss paying ourselves. We also Mm -hmm. miss um, deciding what we want that money to do for us. Right. So I think it's really important. Like a lot of people think like you have to be rich to invest, but I'm, you know, so when clients come to me, I'm like, no, you can really start off with a little amount. And when you get this lump sum, the key to what you do with it is how can I now make this compound? Not so that you can't buy things that you want, but that this can grow and maybe the income that it produces or earns can then pay for the things that you want. Right. And then maybe those things that you want are going to be balanced between short and moderate and long term. It's because so many of us hate the word retirement. We don't know what it means. It's this like convoluted word. We think it's far off. You know, what's semi retirement like deciding that stuff might seem like it's uh, not something that's for us. But yeah, we, we see a lot of clients coming in and not really knowing what to do with their first big lump sums. And having that mindset shift around what can this money do for you? How can it grow and compound? And then create an income stream that you can depend on that's not just your business. Mm-hmm. Oh, multiple income streams are my favorite. <laughs> and being retired myself. <laughs> yes, yes. <laughs> I got to retire at 55. So I'm loving life. And I, I worked with I don't know, thousands of people who thought they had to work until full retirement age in the U.S., you know, which, you know, can be anywhere from 66 to, you know, 67. And it's like, no, you don't. Why do you think you have to work until retirement? And they only look at their pension. And I have one client who I only make, you know, $700 a month from Social Security. I'm like, well, it's not your it's not your livelihood. It's just supplemental. You're supplementing your income. It's a portion of your income. What about all your other income streams? You have seven other income streams coming in. <laughs> what about yeah. those? And right. it's funny because they, they look at it. We tend to, as humans, just focus on the lowest amount and pick it apart. And I always tell my clients, listen, you are not dating money when you're picking it apart. You are not going to criticize your date, okay? (laughs) When you're dating, you're all woo-woo and head over heels. You're not picking it apart. You haven't been married for 30 years where you're like, oh, you're going to do that or you're going to wear that. And you're thinking about how it's going to benefit you, right? And how you can grow with it, not what it can't do for you. Exactly. So a lot of um, people have this mindset of, focusing on the negative and there's just not enough, not right. enough, not enough. Which and always, thinking, always thinking of like retirement, you know, people think about the retirement paycheck as one income source, right? Like you're saying retire at 55. That's a common thing, but there's so many, you know, around 55 age clients that will come in and they'll be like, well, I have to work till I'm 65. 
nope, mm-hmm. I just have to work till I'm 65. I'm stuck. I'm doing this for 10 years. They're miserable. They don't want to. And it's because they just think the pension, you know, the num- that magic number they have to get to. And a lot of the times we reevaluate it and go, look, you can transfer this pension out now and quit your job. Um, if we do a projection for you and show you how you can sustain your life or, you know, maintain your quality of life, will you quit? And so then they're faced with like, wait, do I actually want to quit? I do have the ability to have some freedom. And then when you think about the multiple streams we're talking about, right, in Canada, we have CPP, we have OAS, we have our RSP or RIF coming out, right? So it's like your paycheck is going to come from multiple sources and you're not used to that. But you can also still have active income once you retire. You can go pursue something else like a project or like much like yourself and what you're doing. You're like, well, I retired and now I do this. Um, people kind of think that when they retire, it's like this just immediate stop and and nothing else there to provide income for them. So. Yeah, and, and it's such a common factor, regardless of what country you're in, like, oh, I'm retired. So my income is limited. My husband says that all the time. He's retired as well. And he's like, well, my income is limited. I'm like, no, it's not. You have all these streams coming in. This is what we have coming in. How are you limited? Because you get so used to having that steady paycheck. You know, you're nine to five or you get that guaranteed mm-hmm. paycheck that comes in, you know, and then transitioning from that familiarity, that's no, that's, that's security. Mm-hmm. What was, you know, I know you said you were into nine to five for like a year or so. You knew you had to get out. <laughs> you were so like, not- you a nine to five? I'm like, yeah, I lasted a couple months, I think. <laughs> um, yes, I'm, I like have been working. I remember I would get paid like to the table at 13. I worked at this office where we packed agendas into the envelopes and that kind of thing. And then I worked throughout school. Um, I had to pay for my own university. So I started working in retail banking. Um, you know, and so I was starting to work like the 20 hours a week, that type of thing. And then as soon as I graduated from university, um, you know, you go into this nine to five job. And I remember just being like, okay, this is definitely not for me. I think the thing for me was just knowing that I was on the wrong side of it, as in, I would be working with customers coming in, and I would make them feel really comfortable, educate them on a product, talk about different things, and then land the business. And I would have these sales credits or revenue that they tracked, but my paycheck was still the same. Mm -hmm. Or I was told who I had to deal with, how long I could spend with a customer. And I was like, I'm not really in this business because every time I have a client customer come in that remembers my name, those are the ones I enjoy the most. And so like, I realized I like the long-term relationship working with people and evolving as they do versus starting over every time with like a 15 minute interaction. Mm -hmm. Um, And I realized you can't really do that in the retail banking space. And you kind of have to go into more like private wealth management. Mm -hmm. So that's what I ended up doing. I graduated. And I mean, at the age of 23, um, I was the only woman of color in my office that started her own practice. And I didn't look like any of the other advisors. And I was like, you know what? I'm just going to do it. They could do it. I can do it. I think this aligns with my goals more. Um, And it was perfect, right? I was able to just realize, okay, now I'm on the other side. Every bit of effort that I put into this, I'm going to get something back. And my clients, I can spend as long as I want with them. And we can be the right fit for each other. And I get to see them through having their first kid, getting married, you know, starting their business, all of these things that are exciting, right? And we talked about money being fun. That's, 
that's what's fun for me. Like I've done meetings where I'm holding my client's child and like doing their presentation because we have a relationship, right? Mm -hmm. Or their kid will bring me a drawing and I'm like, oh, this is so wonderful. And I put it in my office and it stays there and, (laughs) you know, that kind of thing. So um, it was, I wouldn't say an easy move. Everyone was like, why would you leave your nine to five and take this risk and do this, right? As I'm sure a lot of entrepreneurs probably experienced if you're not from an entrepreneur family. I certainly wasn't. Um, But, you know, I told myself, give this a year. And in hindsight, that's not enough time. But I was like, give it a year. If you do terribly, you can go back, but just try the most as you lose a year of your life. Yeah. Um, It's interesting that you had mentioned that, like it was a risk, you know, it was a risk to leave your nine to five to do your own business. And you're only going to give it a year. And then you said that it wasn't enough. Can you expand on that? Oh, yeah, because in the beginning, you have so many learning curves. And while I was, you know, earning an income and doing really well in my first year, because I um, took quite a few different approaches than my colleagues, I know that in my second year, for example, I finally had enough profit where I'm like, okay, I'm making a paycheck, I'm out of the red. And I but I'm like, now I'm hiring another like my first assistant. Right. And so you essentially kind of get rid of the profit by hiring another assistant. And so if I kept evaluating whether I was successful or not based on just my net profit, I would have quit. Mm-hmm. Right. Or, you know, for the fact that I, even in my second year, sometimes like on a weekly basis on a Friday, I'd be like, I'm going to quit. I think I want to stop. I don't know if I can do this. Do I even want to be a financial consultant? Like, why did I do this? Right. Um, and those shifts consistently evolve as an entrepreneur, but at the same time, um, you have to let yourself evolve with your priority shifting. So like all of the things you're learning are going to make you re-question it. And I've learned that even at a certain point, if you don't like your business, it's not that you shouldn't continue with the business. It's actually an opportunity for you to change something about it. Mm-hmm. I love that. Because a lot of entrepreneurs will get stuck and they'll quit and give up thinking mm-hmm. I'm not making any money and they're really not looking at their numbers. And I know I always say as a profit first professional, it's not about the numbers. It's it's about the percentage of what you're doing, you know, and how are you allocating that money to maximize it? And if you're not loving what you're doing, it's never going to make money. Like if your mindset isn't in alignment, our thoughts are the most powerful tool that we have. And if you're not doing something that you absolutely love, you need to step away from it. You, you know, do- I just tell you know, you had mentioned about retiring. People know when they're ready to retire. Is it is it something you know? Like you get to that point where like, I am done. I don't want to. If you're not waking up in the morning and you're super excited about going to your job or doing your uh, your business, <clears throat> you shouldn't be doing it. <laughs> it's just, it's that simple. But we're so fearful because we don't have that security blanket. And you had mentioned earlier that You've been taught to save, to compound your money. Like you save up X amount of dollars, it goes into the bank, it earns interest, it's beautiful. A lot of people, it's statistically speaking, says that I think it's 82% of people in America do not have savings. What's it like in Canada and what's your viewpoint on that? Yeah. I mean, especially because we're talking about business owners too, but even my, you know, high-end professionals who are going to, you know, work and making anywhere from 10 to 50,000 a month. Like you, it's surprising how much don't save because what did we say before? You come into a certain amount of money and you find all the ways that you can spend it that you couldn't before. 
And saving sounds boring until you make it mean something, until you attach it to goals. Um, We look for short-term gratification, right? Well, I have this debt. I want to pay this person back. I want to buy this thing. I want this car. I want this house because that's a smart thing to do when it's not always. And so in Canada, absolutely, like the, you know, one of the things I always say is I work with a lot of high net worth individuals or affluent individuals sitting on untapped potential because they think they're going to come to me and they're going to, I'm going to tell them spend less or make more. And I'm like, no, just put your money in the right places. The way that you build your assets and what types of accounts you put your money in can enhance your net worth. I mean, from I've done plans where we've changed nothing about their income, nothing about their expenses. And we've enhanced their net worth worth by like $4 million in retirement. Or one I remember was like $400,000 in a five-year plan. Right. And so sometimes it's, again, shifting what it is that you do with your money once you earn it. And then instead of like short term gratification, you might actually save for something that's going to give you something bigger that you wanted. Right. Three years from now is still a goal and you need to save for it. Yeah. And it's so important to have that in alignment to save, because if you think about it, every dollar that you bring in, there's no need to spend every single thing that you make. Mm-mm. And why wouldn't you want to have that security blanket to be able to say, yeah, this is what it's earmarked for. And, you know, I always share seven months of emergency funds, right? You want to stop working. You get seven months, <laughs> you build up that emergency fund. And if you can't work, like when I was working at social security, people don't grow up and say, oh, I want to be disabled, but all of a sudden they're on disability and they can't work. And, you know, those that had emergency funds, didn't have to worry about their finances. They were taken care of. They had their investments. And because those investments were working, the money that they initially put in there had tripled and quadrupled. So they were able to, you know, use a lot of those interest payments to meet their monthly expenses when they were going through that transition, um, you know, and, and trying to get themselves back to work. So preparing for those things is so important, especially as an entrepreneur, when, you know, a lot of, entre- every entrepreneur starts off as a solopreneur, right? Yeah. They're going to start it off as a solo, you know, they're going to work their way up to building a team and then, you know, make the moves that way. So mm-hmm. putting the right system in place and getting the right investments in place from the get-go is so super important. Yeah. I mean, especially for the, like, if you think about our nine to fivers with the side hustle or the, 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 the business they've started and they don't know if they can transition over, a lot of the times I've asked some of my successful entrepreneurs, you know, once they got to a certain level, how did you make that first switch so that I can coach my clients who are starting out? What was the big thing? It was honestly the one that I heard just recently was I made sure I landed a big enough contract that carried me for three months of my expenses. It was either saved or, you know, prepaid so that then I had three months to really align um, other contracts and bring on more clients. And I wasn't a working out of desperation to like make sure I land business because your clients are going to feel that immediately. And two, you can focus on your value add and making sure that your product is good or your service is good and that you're building your network of clientele, right? Without worrying about paying your bills. For myself, I didn't leave my job until I knew I had six months of expenses covered. Like for me, it was, I had to, because again, I gave myself that year, right? So I was like, okay, I'm going to allow myself like not to be feeling ashamed or guilty or feel like I'm not going to be good enough if I don't earn, I don't have a profit for the first six months. And I knew that I could, you know, 
use my savings. So I think for people who are working, if you're listening to this and you're thinking about, you know, you have one foot in one foot out because this one's one is reliable, you know, the nine to five, and then, you know, your side hustle is where your passion comes out and you love it. You can really set yourself up by figuring out what your next three months of expenses looks like, and then making sure you have the savings for that working until you have that savings and then just quit and put all your energy and time into, you know, the side hustle and make that something that can work for you. Um, that's how people take off. Yeah. Having that consistency and persistency and doing the passion that they love is what makes them kick off. Right. And the profit comes because you can't help make a profit when you love what you're doing. I mean, it automatically attracts clients. It attracts um, all kinds of wealth. And Mm -hmm. a lot of times we build that wealth and then we can pass it on to our generation. And I know you're a big advocate of um, passing on the wisdom of finances to the next generation. So tell us more about that. Oh, I love this topic. I mean, yeah, like I just, uh, you know, money is a currency. It's a form of energy. Um, wealth is something that we have to redefine, especially in our generation, because we have the opportunity to. And I find that there's a disconnect between how our parents and our grandparents used to think, right? So first, it's like understanding where we get our money mindset and beliefs from. It's like our grandparents were probably have experienced a war at some point, right? So their thing was put food on the table and roof over our head. And if they could do that, they were successful, right? And then our parents, it was like, okay, we have more opportunities. And I mean, of course, this is all based on your background and where you lived. But in general, our parents are like, safety, reliability, um, do things that are going to be reliable, right? So consistent paycheck till you're 65, give this company your life, and they'll take care of you. Mm-hmm. Right. And then there's us and this huge like boom of entrepreneurs and small business owners and all these things where you have to take all this risk, but you were raised with a certain mindset. Um, and so I think it's really important to talk about like how generational like wealth gets transferred over. And I think it's really important to still, even if you have different mindsets or different approach to money than your grandparents did, it's like they have a certain way your parents or your grandparents have a certain way that they would want to pass down wealth. And a lot of people won't talk about it. So the work that I do, um, you know, that I'm really passionate about, I I will do seminars on talking about even how you would want to pass down wealth to your kids. And wealth can be in the form of so many things. It could be the actual money, what they do with the money can be in the form of wisdom. Um, You know, something recently that I've been talking a lot about is how you can pass it down in the form of recipes right? Family heirlooms. There's so many different things where you could say, like, if there's one thing that I could give my child um, or someone in my family, it would be this. What is that? Right. It's not just like, I want my, my next kin, next of kin to have $1.5 million. You can also pass down wisdom of what they should do with the 1.5 and how that should work. And so, yeah, like I'm very passionate about lineage. Um, There's a lot that we get from our ancestors, right? Um, I feel like so much of my resilience is just in my DNA. You know, it was given to me. I know that I didn't, I'm not responsible for it. Um, but now it's all about how I can tune into it. Um, and what is it that I want to pass down? So yeah, I think it's really important to like document stories uh, about your parents and grandparents or however much you know. I know in my family, we don't know much past that. Um, but some people have a long history in learning that and then carrying that with you and then deciding what habits need to stop <laughs> and then what, you know, what needs to be reformed and what should be saved and, and passed on. 
I love that. Yeah, I'm always talking about the generational curses, everything that we've learned was passed on. You know, no one ever talks about finances, but they certainly did demonstrate it. So their actions spoke very loud. Mm. And we adapt so much from that as we're yeah. growing. And uh, I do come from a family of entrepreneurs and one side was shrewd and cutthroat and the other side was very generous and loving and I focused on the shrewdness so when I first started my entrepreneurial journey I was just like oh I don't know if I could do this I don't want to be shrewd you know and then it's just like well no I have this other side of my family that you know they were fabulous and everybody loved them and they were great you know bosses and all of that great stuff so definitely I, I you know my mindset what we think is what we believe that happens and what we go after that's what we achieve so Tell us a little bit more about wealth strategy and what your offer is. Uh, so how I help my clients. I mean, wealth first in general, I, it was interesting when you talked about the name in the beginning. I was like, actually, there's a couple uh, meanings behind it. So, you know, um, like the metaverse is like a digital space. And I wanted... Um, the financial industry, like I wanted a space for it to evolve. I think that there's a lot of things about financial advice and advisory that needs to kind of shift with people's needs over time. Um, you know, financial literacy is certainly increasing. Like it is missing. It's not taught in school, but it's definitely increasing. And I think you, we should be evolving um, our, the financial space into meeting what the future offers. So that's what Wealth First is about as well. It's, it's like a two in, in one thing. Um, so when I started my own practice at 23, I did it through, I guess you would call it like a franchise. So you're still using their product and it's your own business. You hire your own employees, you're responsible for your clients and things like that. But as my knowledge in the industry grew, I realized um, there's a lot of proprietary funds. Like you can only sell whatever that company's offering. And so I was really particular on making sure whatever I started now is unbiased. So not just within the stock market where you can buy ETF stocks or things like that, but also like, do you want to build your wealth through land? Do you want to build your wealth through real estate? Like what kinds of assets do you want to own? And I think for anyone listening to this, like whether you've started your investing journey or you already are, if you feel like it doesn't align with you in the way we're talking, then it's about deciding what kind of investor you are. Some people mm -hmm. are like, I want an advisor that's going to teach me how to do it, mentor me, handhold me. And then it's like, I'm going to go fish on my own. That's it. We can provide that for you, right? If you're someone who's coming in, that's like, I don't want anything to do with this. I'm good at my business. I've perfected my skill. Go make me money. Then we actually move your money over and manage it for you. Call you when it's time to take profits, time to hold cash, you know, when to get in and there's opportunity. Um, and then there's people who want fee only advice where it's like, can I just pay you by the hour? And you tell me if I'm on the right track. Um, I couldn't find that anywhere where it's mm -hmm. like meeting the person's needs in a truly customized or personalized way. So um, when I left and started Wealth First and founded it, I actually brought on a lot of brand partners to be able to provide those services. So we essentially are like a concierge where it's like you come in and you tell us what's important to you. We help you discover what kind of investor you are, um, how money can mean something to you. Because a lot of people will have this distant relationship with it. Like we don't really talk about money in my family or it's a hush hush thing or it's stressful and there's shame, you know, it's put on the back burner. And um, that's why I talk about smart money management being in combination with mindset shifts, because I can tell you all the numbers in the world, but if it doesn't align with 
how you believe this is going to work, you know, it's not going to go anywhere. And so I've created Wealth Versus, this space for people to come in. They can get coaching. If I see there's a need for mindset shift before we dive into the numbers, then that's how we, you know, how we start. Um, so anyone from like the the nine to fiver who wants to make their side hustle full time, needing coaching and guidance and a roadmap to that, for that to my clients who are I like I'm selling my business I'm coming into nine million dollars and I have no idea what to do with this or how this can sustain my life can I really quit you know that kind of thing we want to be able to provide you you know with an associate or consultant that can help you with that oh I love that I love the diversity of that as well and that it's global so that's so important because it doesn't matter what currency you are money is money it's energy mm-hmm. <laughs> and, and you know it's all going to work the same way you just have to use the uh uh what's that called oh, i just lost my train of thought when you uh the currency rate the rate exchange mm-hmm. <laughs> the rate exchange i don't know why i couldn't remember that a little brain uh brain fog right there yeah so that's that's beautiful i love that so um before i thank you so much for sharing your your expertise and your viewpoint and i love your um perspective the mindset shifts are huge. And, you know, like you said, it doesn't really matter how much money you have. It's where you're putting it and what, how you're investing it. You don't have to decrease money or um, increase money or decrease your expenses to make your money work for you. It's just making that strategically aligned adjustments in your investments so that you can take advantage of all that money has to offer. So if you could leave a tip for our audience as we depart, what would be one tangible tip that they can put into practice today that will help them increase their wealth. Okay. Hmm. I have two, cause I have one for my business owners. I feel like we talked about that a bit today, but I say first one is exactly that deciding what kind of investor you are. Um, because a lot of the times you'll finally seek out financial coaching or advice, or you'll look online and it won't align with what you're looking for. And then you kind of stop because you think that's just what the financial industry is. So mm-hmm. a lot of people will just, like you said, invest back in their business and never invest in themselves. And I think it's really important to become aware of what type of coaching or advisory you want, and then be very disciplined about going ahead and finding it. And, you know, asking your financial coach to be your accountability partner, like, hey, I'm probably going to fall off of this. Can you reach out again? Accountability is probably the number one things that I see that is consistent with my wealthiest clients. They show up and they prioritize and they come back to the drawing board even when we fall off. So, you know, make it a quarterly thing. And then I think for my business owners, one of the mistakes that I made when I started out was I thought hiring more people was the right idea. Um, I wanted a big team, right? I was like at a team of six. And I was like, I'm going to get to 11. And there was no reason, right? It was just like the bigger team I have, the better I can. I got really good at delegating tasks. Um, I would say, one, make sure you have the right people in the right seat. Hire up, not just down. Don't just hire entry-level positions because they're easier to train. Hire people who have skill sets that you might not have. It's intimidating, but do it um, because it's going to benefit you and your business. And you're going to enjoy working from them because you learn from them as well. Um, And three, don't be afraid to outsource. So if you need to hire a company that already does it and is well-versed in that skill set, it might be a better overhead for you to pay for that service versus a full employee that's doing it that you then have to train. 
so much. I love that. And it's so important because a lot of times people will hire someone because of the, oh, they're only charging $5 an hour, but the time and energy you have to spend in training them where you can pay more per hour and get someone who's ready to go and take action that really produces a wonderful ROI. So thank you yeah. so much for being here and for sharing your expertise. For those of you listening, check the show notes. We got some um, links for you to connect with after you want to figure out your strategy, how to multiply the money that you already have. Um, connect with her and be sure to share the show, rate it, review it, show us some love. And remember, it doesn't matter how much money you have, it's what you do. Thanks for tuning into the show. Give us a five-star review and share it with your friends. Get ready to activate wealth. Be the next millionaire. With a simple adjustment of your finances using an energetically aligned money multiplier system, you get to build wealth by partnering with money. It's time to have fun with finances. Pick a date. The link is in the show notes to book your wealth activation call where you will get the one solution to multiply your money. Remember, it doesn't matter how much money you make, it's what you do with it.